0: My most memorable moment there was, it was must have been like day two or three on the job here and the fire alarm goes off, right? It's a fire drill. And I have absolutely no clue like where we're supposed to go, what we're supposed to do. And I just kind of freeze for a minute and all of them leave, these are middle schoolers. <laughs> so they all left. I had no idea where they went. And so I was like, it's my second day. I've lost the kids. I've literally lost my classroom. Um, and then, they, but you know, they all kind of came back as they're supposed to. And it just was this kind of realization to me that, like, you know, the, the prisoners could totally overtake the prison, right? Like, if they wanted to, if they could pull this together, they could absolutely do whatever they wanted. Um, so it was just kind of a funny anecdotal story, but it definitely showed me, like, wow, classroom management's a thing. Like, you have to, you know, and and that you have to make this a place that they that they want to be. No
1: time, no
0: tools, big expectations. How do you transform school culture without derailing
1: the train? Answer. Little wins that bring big changes. The Flywheel Effect. Harnessing the power of momentum to create a school culture that celebrates change and drives itself.
2: Hello and welcome. My name is Jordan Pruitt. I'm here with my co-host Dan Murphy. We are both former educators now working with the Live School team to support your school's culture vision. Our show focuses on all the opportunities for little wins that create big changes in school culture flywheel Fed it's all about sharing stories of admin school support staff and other educational change agents that have succeeded their initial lifts and have created cultures that have so much momentum that they grow and improve exponentially we are joined today by tara Tarongo, who is an accomplished executive in the education industry with more than 15 years of experience in educational publishing and services she currently serves as the chief education officer at the van andel education institute She's an expert in instructional climate and culture, and has devoted her career to helping teachers create learning experiences where curiosity, creativity, and critical thinking can thrive. Tara, thank you for coming on. Um, so, our show we we talk about school culture changes, and we're like we have like to have folks from all sorts of different roles come on. Um, so that's that's why I thought you'd have a, have a unique perspective for our audience. Um, if you want to tell us kind of what you've been doing this summer and a little bit more about yourself, go for it.
0: Okay, sure. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the chance to um, to be with you. I always love a chance to talk about education and ways we can help foster um, change and really creating those kind of classrooms that we all like. So, appreciate the opportunity. Um, a little bit about me. I'd say, actually, I got my start in education from my mother being an educator. You know, she was a public school educator for, oh, 20, 30 years. Um and as a single mom too, I think I just saw that from a unique vantage point. Not only what a dedicated teacher she was. I mean, she was that teacher that, you know, you wanted your kids in her classroom, right? She went that extra mile. They were my brothers and sisters. We were at the playground together. She would take them on trips with us. Um but at the same time, I saw the toll it took. I saw the stress it put on her to be that kind of educator. And so from a very young age, I think I saw um, how difficult it was to do this job well. And even if I couldn't articulate it, it, had this sort of feeling like that important of a job shouldn't be that hard to do. Um, so, you know, from an early age that was kind of with me and then um, really tried to be, I like to call myself a teacher fairy godmother, you know, trying to kind of make the job a little bit easier since it is so important. Um, so started off um, in Texas, I grew up there and I, I worked for Hope Mifflin Harcourt, several different iterations of that working on curriculum. Um, and then went into uh, a place where I worked mostly on professional development, kind of saw that side of things. Um, And then most recently, I am now with the Van Andel Institute for Education here in Grand Rapids, which is really cool opportunity to work with a nonprofit institute that's just focused on helping teachers improve their instruction, be the teachers they want to be and make that a reality. So it's been a a fun progression. I've had a great time along the way.
2: So I think that those experiences, I think, are going to be great for our show um, because it means you've worked with a lot of teachers. You've seen a lot of different school cultures, you've talked to a lot of different folks. Um, I think it's really interesting you, you had that experience with, with, with your mom, because there's a lot of educators going through pretty similar situations right now. And Anna, you may speak to that a little bit.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, I hear from dozens and at the peak of last year, sometimes it was hundreds of educators a week who are just at this like height of stress and burnout within the, uh, within their careers. And it's, I, it's something that it's just so real, I think, right now. So I guess I'm wondering, like, what your perspective is on this teacher burnout crisis that we're, we're currently seeing, especially like having your former educator, or, you know, and work within education, your mom's a former educator, like, how do you, how do you see that right now?
0: Yeah, it's funny. I referenced, you know, my mom being so burnt out. Well, that was, you know, way before any kind of like COVID stressors and everyone feeling like they know what kind of curriculum you should be, you know, teaching and all the kinds of additional stressors that are on teachers right now, and particularly this past year. Um, it absolutely, I'm so sick of the word unprecedented, but it really is unprecedented. You know, the, the amount of stress that has been put on teachers. Um, and I saw something recently that I really resonated with. And I um, was talking about the teacher shortage, right? And I'm and thinking we don't have a teacher shortage we have a shortage of appreciation for this amazing profession and i mean if we actually gave teachers the sort of appreciation the resources the the skills and the and the and the, the tools to do the job the way that they want to do it the time to do the job that they want to do it the pay that reflects the importance of this job I think you wouldn't have that teacher shortage. So it's just a different way to look at it. And it's, I mean, I do have tons of tips and strategies and I do a a burnout, you know, workshop with teachers all the time to try to make the best out of the current situation. Um, But from a larger perspective, that's where I think we need to be looking is how do we elevate the way society views teaching so that it's a job that that we don't have this shortage because people are clamoring to be in it because it has the prestige it deserves.
2: Yeah, it's kind of interesting because... We've talked to, um, some educational researchers and they do school culture and, and teaching as a career, um, like research and with other countries. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to say it's uniquely like American problem, but it, it kind of is because it's, it's a, it's a profession that's a lot, a lot more well sought after in other countries. Um, so it's, it's a problem we've got to fix because it's, it's a big issue now, um, the, the first segment we're going to jump into is called Be a Changemaker. And this one's all about, uh, it's a chance for you to tell a little bit more about yourself and your career, and we can tie that to our, our listeners and how, how they could be the ones who could be the change changemaker. Um, so I want to jump off with the first one. We've talked a little bit about your interest in education and the kind of how you got there. Um, I'm, I, th- I think I've read a little bit about your experience, but I want to hear about your first job in education. That's always a fun one. Because like we talk to we talk to superintendents, we talk to folks who are um they're, they're influencers on uh, social media, like that and like they all have like interesting like first entry entryways in education. You know, some folks are subbing some folks are you know, coaching middle school baseball, that's their first entrance. But like what what, what was your first job?
0: Okay, so yeah, I had a sort of my first um, introduction to education was sort of a long-term subbing um, stint for I think it was a Texas history um, it was a history social studies class. Um, but the most memorable part of that, I will say, is you know I got there and I definitely had these I, as every teacher does some naive notions about how much my students were going to love my, their content, this content as much as I do, and and you know you just have this picture perfect vision of how this classroom should go. And um, my most memorable moment there was, it must have been like day two or three on the job here and the fire alarm goes off, right? It's a fire drill. And I have absolutely no clue like where we're supposed to go, what we're supposed to do. And I just kind of freeze for a minute and all of them leave. These are middle schoolers. (laughs) So they all left. I had no idea where they went. And so I was like, it's my second day. I've lost the kids. I've literally lost my classroom. Um, And then, but you know, they all kind of came back as they're supposed to. And it just was this kind of realization to me that, like, you know, the, the prisoners could totally overtake the prison, right? Like, if they wanted to, if they could pull this together, they could absolutely do whatever they wanted. Um, so it was just kind of a funny anecdotal story, but it definitely showed me, like, wow, classroom management's a thing. Like, you have to, you know, and, and that you have to make this a place that they that they want to be. Um, but it was just, it was definitely a, a funny story and an introduction to, you know, great, I just lost my children, you know, two days into it, so...
2: So I had a very similar experience. I was, I was still in college, and I was, I, I was coaching high school baseball. I was a, a baseball guy, and that was one of the reasons I got educa- education. I liked coaching, and they suggested that I, I sub in the in the county like, while I was there because I, I, I had like night classes and stuff, so I could make some money and I could get used to it. And I was going to like all the high schools in that county, and they would just call me that morning at like five a.m. and say, "Can you come and?" I don't know if they do the calls anymore, but that's the way it was then. And this is the first time I was ever at this school. And it was a high school that I did not coach at. I don't know any of these kids. I'm like three years older than them. Like, And they had about midday, there was, it's probably like 10, 30, 11. We get an evacuation of the school. And there was a gas leak somewhere close by. And it had got into the school and like they had to evacuate and we're on the uh, the softball field for a solid five hours with this group of high schoolers that have known me for 20 minutes. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, yeah, that's fun. The uh, drills and evacuation stuff are all great. <laughs>
0: You definitely realize there's a, there's an element of fake it till you make it too. It's like, you know, you just kind mm-hmm. of like, okay, I'm, and that's exactly, I was just pretended like I knew where y'all were, we just all came back. That's exactly what I planned it. <laughs> you know, oh, and that, that's that has stayed with me. I would say throughout, you know, my career is this idea of sometimes, you know, you don't have all the answers, but you've got to fake it till you make it.
2: Yeah. Sometimes you just have to look like you're in charge.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Goes a long way.
2: Can you speak on like, because like, like we said, you've worked with a lot of teachers in a lot of places and you've got to talk to a lot. Um, can you speak on things that like stand out as indicators of good school culture to you? Like, um, cause we all kind of look at it from, from our own lens. Like I, like I, I know it from the schools I've been in and like the people I know, but you've, you've been all around the country. So like what's, What's consistent? Places that have good school culture, what stands out?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny because it's one of those things, sometimes it's, it's sort of intangible. You can kind of walk into school, and I swear by this, that you there's a feeling you get if like really teaching and learning is what's at the center here, and student-driven learning is at the center. There's just sort of something a little bit abstract about it. So I've all, for a long time been trying to make that much more tangible. What exactly is it that's giving me that feeling that things are working here? Um, and so one of the things I really like to point to is um, when you see, like a lot of times if you go into a school and it looks very contrived, like all the best work is up on the walls. All of the A students' work is up on the walls. You can tell that's what's, you know, everything's in straight lines and everything looks like picture perfect. And I actually think that's somewhat of a red flag and in the, in the converse of that is when you go in and you see, I love it when I see classrooms where they're celebrating taking risks and failure, right? Um, I've seen one where one of my favorite ones was, um, they used kind of the analogy of a plane, right? And so they had all these pictures of like a plane like the first attempts to fly and those failures on one side of the room, and then kind of like lift off, like, you know, jet pilot on the other side of the room. And they would actually, you know, take student work and put it, if they're doing something that has a progression, like put some of your early work over here on this side and, and acknowledge that as it's not a failure, but a step toward. Um, something great and that everything is moving you along that. So that idea of, you know, kind of celebrating those failures and, and actually showcasing those and seeing not just student work as final products, but students in student their thinking like in the wall. So you can actually see what student thinking looks like. I think that's a really great sign of a, of a healthy
1: culture. Well, and I wanted to jump in there because how you described it at the beginning is how a lot of people describe it. They're like, it's a feeling, right? It's this like big intangible. But I love that idea of that progression of work, right? And that's like that growth mindset. People work, we work so hard to instill in students. But it's, I remember when I first was reading about that as an educator, I was like, I I get it, but I, how do I put this into practice? And I think that's such an easy way. But I think it even goes beyond student work with issues like around behavior and things like that, too, where you're showing that there is a, a redemptive quality to us all. And we're all capable of that of that growth too. I, d- I don't know. I think it goes like so far even beyond, yeah, the work that a student's producing, but how they feel they, you know, act and behave within a school too. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it goes through all those elements, not just the academic, but you can talk about the social emotional piece, the behavioral piece, all of those pieces for sure.
2: So I like your idea of, Cause you, you, you talked about when they have, you know, all the, the picture perfect stuff up front and it's, it, it sounds almost like staged culture. You know what I mean? Um, this is, you know, the, 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 the face you want there, you know what I mean? But I think it's it's, it's better whenever you can get a better accurate view of the school when they they have stuff from all the kids that are up and they, they, you can have, they all feel a part of it, you know? Um, so that, that's, that's an interesting idea. Cause I've, I've been in places. I thought this, this is a, it's a really nice, clean building. but it almost be a little too clean, and
0: and I get it. It's it's kind of tough because obviously you want for your visitors, for your parents, you know, to see. You want your best foot forward. I get that, you know, but you also think about what does that do to the kid who's not perfect? It feels like my stuff isn't, my thoughts aren't aren't valuable. They're not worthy of display, right? And so finding that balance between here's the things. Let's celebrate not only some some excellent work, but also um some progress and some that all thinking is is valuable and that we we value that process.
2: Yeah, the uh I mean you want I mean like you really want you want clean and and well organized and and you know and back uh, of a better word like uh, pretty schools. But Kids do go to the schools. <laughs> like you need to represent the kids that are there, and and they need to be part of that, which I think is a big deal.
0: Another piece I would say to that too is if you can see evidence that the work that they're doing is somehow contributing to the world outside the school. Right. So it's not just creating this poster that sits on the wall and that's it. Right. But it's actually creating a proposal that they were able to present to, you know, the school board to make a change in their school or to, you know, to someplace outside the school. That real world connection is something you can also very much see um, as you walk in the building. And that's a really um, a really great thing to see, to see that, you know, what if our classrooms were actual, you know, not just beacons of curiosity, creativity and critical thinking, but a workforce that can actually make the community around them better. So that's something I love
1: seeing.
2: So that reminded me of um, something that my old school did. And I I was, I was a science teacher. I wasn't a media guy, but we had a really good media program and like, and a lot of folks do the, do the news in their school and like you get as many kids as part of that as you can. That, that, that's cool. Um, They went a step further and did like a, like a short film competition and they're all up on YouTube. And like, they're, they're like, I remember very vividly them doing a, a, a horror film short. And, like it was just very much like these are these are our kids They're like this is their imagination this is them and they all all like um, they were in a contest It was like a nationwide contest I don't know if you know, like you know, or anything but it was we watched them all and like everybody in the building got to see them it was really interesting because um, it's just you know that's. That, that, that was what they wanted to do, you know, because they could have been in a bunch of contests. But they wanted to be in the horror film short contest. <laughs>
0: there you go. And I think there's something to that, too. Having that kind of authentic audience for their work. Right. The fact that it was going to a contest um, or that it was going on the Web. And I always talking about how that's like there's a direct correlation to how authentic the audience is to how engaged the students are. So like if they're doing a project and it's just to report it back to me, you know, they're this level of engagement right at the bottom. Um, and it doesn't matter how much they like me, how much of a rapport I have with them, you know. somehow they still don't mind looking a fool in front of me, right? But the minute I bring in someone from the outside world that they're presenting that work to, or you're putting it up onto this contest or online, now they don't wanna look a fool in front of those people, right? So the engagement goes up and they're all of a sudden willing to make iterations to their work and take feedback and make it better. All those things that you want and all you had to do was just like, well, don't present it to me, present it to this other person. And then they they drive that.
2: So. I was in uh, grad school for education and one of our assignments was, uh, and this has been, uh, you know, 10, 11, 12 years ago now was to create a blog. And like, that was kind of the idea. So like somebody besides, uh, my professor was going to see it. Um, which is, which is funny cause I, I write in a lot of blogs now and that was something I was like, why am I, am I ever going to do this? That's what I do a lot now, but
0: Yeah. And it's funny too. It's a nice hack because like teachers sometimes ask me, but what if nobody reads the blog or what if nobody, you know, goes to this website I have them create? It's like they think everyone's going to it. So don't worry about it. Like it doesn't matter if anybody actually goes to it. If it's on the web, they think they're going to be an influencer. It's happening. And so, you know, it's a nice little hack to just put it on the web and all of a sudden you have an authentic audience.
2: So, last career question, um, and I like to pose this question to everybody because there's there's all sorts of folks who do really good work and really smart folks in education and in- really qualified and they've done great things. If you could talk to all of them and say, work on this, fix this one thing, what's the one thing?
0: So I think it might go back to what I was alluding to earlier with this, like the way we view the profession and, and giving teachers the respect and the, um, and the time that they need. So, you know, if you look at most teachers want to teach, um, in this way, they want to create these memorable, meaningful learning experiences. Um, And that's not the case. Like 20 years ago, I was trying to convince teachers that you wanted to teach this way. They thought, you know, I don't have to teach the way I was taught. And, you know, you had to convince them. And, And now that's not the case. They want to teach that way. They just don't have the time and the resources. And so I think um, if i could make one change is is having administrators all across the country figure out ways to give that planning time back to to um to really same thing we're talking about with the kids where we're valuing that risk taking value that risk taking in your teachers you know give them the opportunities and reward um, not, you know, mistakes, like, you know, really like bad decisions, right? But definitely, you know, if you're trying something new and it fails, like reward that and, and try to build that culture in your among your teachers. I think um, that could go a long way toward really making um, education what we all envision it to be.
2: So that um, kind of ties back to something somebody else said in another episode that's out. Um, they had this idea of an R&D department in their school and he it, it was just He's going to let these folks try things and the things that work, they were going to empower and they were going to support, Um, which I felt like that, that kind of like green light uh, philosophy from an administrator could be really valuable and really good for school culture. Because if folks feel their work is valued and they can innovate, like they're they're going to want to do better and they're going going to want to stay.
0: Yeah. I've also heard that concept in, you know, kind of an R&D department or that teachers actually cycle through. So every five years, you get a year in this kind of to really just focus on what could you do in your craft differently and and share that out with everybody. But you get that kind of mental break, but also the time to really do something um, and think through some bigger ideas that you just don't have time for. I mean, summer break, if you want to call it that, is just, you know, a chance to just catch a breath, right? There's not really any time to do some really deep thinking about transforming your classroom. So that idea of like a road every five year kind of R and D break, I think it's sort of intriguing.
1: Well, and with summer break too, I remember it's, by the time I was ready to start like really thinking it was over Uh, just like that. So um, it's right. It's like decompression. I'm like, Oh wow, I'm ready. I'm like, Oh my God, school starts in a week. But um, so that goes back to, like I was mentioning earlier, I talked to a lot of teachers that are, and a lot of admins too, it's, it just really runs the gamut. I was working with a superintendent the other day who was looking to transition out of education and just kind of talking with them. And, but the one thing from the majority that I hear from is wanting that space to like what, when I ask, like, what are you looking for in this next, um, in this next career of yours? They want that space to be innovative, right? To feel like a true professional, not just not just like their job is to organize chaos in their classroom, which is, you know, an interesting part of the teaching profession, but that they can really own processes, right? And be, have their time feel valued. And I think that R&D department goes to that in in some capacity, right? In terms of giving educators back some of that freedom and treating them as professionals too, instead of just handing them something that they, you know, are supposed to implement and, and measure against. So,
0: Yeah. And it's weird. It's almost this cycle because I've actually done some work to think about, like, when did this happen? You know, if you think back in the in the fifties, I saw some research on this. Like, you know, more than half of the people you would survey would say schools are doing a good job. Um, you know, of the public, right? Public schools are doing a good job, and that's not the case now. And I like to think about when did that happen? And it was somewhere like in the eighties. There was this sort of declaration that schools are in crisis, right? And I think as soon as that declaration was made by Congress, then. Um, then all of a sudden you need standardized testing. You need more standardized instruction. And so it became less of a creative profession and more of an automated profession and you're trying to hit these benchmarks. And I think we're still fighting that to some degree and it's, and it's kind of self-perpetuating. The more people see education as having a problem, the more they want to put in these standards that you have to meet um, to kind of fix the problem, which is the more stifling. And so it just kind of keeps going down that path, which is, which is a tricky one to, to stop.
2: Hey guys, this is Jordan from Live School, and I want to take a quick break to share a story about one of our partner schools, Creekside Middle School in Fairfield, Ohio. Creekside's principal, Carrie Franchitti, wanted to improve their existing PBIS system. They were using paper bucks as a reward for their token economy, but because of the logistics involved with a system like that, they weren't getting much in the way of data to make improvements. This made it especially hard to meet the needs of their Tier 2 and 3 students as they didn't have that information to create effective interventions. So, how they solve that problem. Well they improved the behavior at all those tiers by making Live school their Tier one behavior tool. It provided a digital platform that made recognizing good behavior, correcting the negative, and tracking all the above a breeze. Once the program was up and running last year Creekside recorded over 30,000 behaviors that were not ODRs, distributed over 600 rewards, and the reports feature of the platform was read and used to make quality decisions over 20,000 times. If you'd like to improve student behavior and school culture in your school like Creekside, check us out at wildisleschool.com. All right, so our last segment is called Let's Move the Flywheel. This one is its really what this what the show is about because we're trying to find little wins that our listeners can take back to their schools. Um, can you share a story of a small change uh, you led or observed that deliberately changed culture in a school or a district or, or, or large one?
0: You know, I like the way you put that question, too, because we like to think about all these big changes, but nobody has time for these big changes. Right. It's like, give me something I can try that's going to make a meaningful difference. And I'm all about that. Right. Just small little things that don't take a lot of time, but can start to get that mindset changing. So I I love the way you kind of um, look at that and position that question. Um, So my favorite thing to tell teachers, particularly as we're looking at project based learning, that's what I do a lot of work with is how do we get schools to create these more memorable projects that are, um, you know, authentic and engaged with the real world and where students are actually involved in sort of making the world a better place somehow and they learn their content through that. And I always tell them the one thing my big best piece of advice to try to make this switch is actually pretty simple instead of thinking, which most teachers are really want their instruction to be interesting. So they'll say, I have to teach X, maybe it's decimals, right? How can I make it interesting? And so that thought process is the way I think a lot of teachers will go down it. And I just make the one suggestion to flip that, to see what is going to actually be interesting and engage my students. And then how can I teach X? How can I teach decimals? So for example, um, One of the projects that we do a lot is called Take a Stand, where um, the students get to, you know, debate an issue. They learn how to debate respectfully and they create a podcast about, um, you know, what they're um, taking the stand on their particular issue. Well, think about how much work you could do with decimals in that podcast. Right. And that's just one piece of content. When you really get used to thinking this way and you have something that you know your students are going to be interested in. My challenge out there is that almost any content standard can be connected to an authentic experience. So whether it's decimals or whether it's, you know, any sort of social studies, ELA, math, science, I bet you can probably connect it to this authentic experience. So just flip the way you think about it. Instead, I have to teach X how to make it interesting. What can I do that's going to interest my kids? And how can I connect X, Y, Z? How much content can I connect to it? just a simple little change that I think resonates for teachers and something like, okay, I can try to change that. I can see if I can think about my lesson planning a little bit differently.
2: So I kind of taught specifically when I had electives, I I taught like an advanced astronomy class that was just mine and nobody, nobody gave me curriculum. I just kind of got to do my thing. And I did a lot of things like that. I would, I would think of like, oh, here's the subject. Um, Okay. We're talking about the big bang. Let's find something they like, and we'll make it about the Big Bang. You know, you know what I mean. And it's some of that's kind of even yourself. Like, okay, what do I need to do with this con- this concept to make it interesting me? Because if it's if I think it's interesting, I'm going to be more excited about it, and they're gonna they're gonna feed off that. You know, almost like if you're because you're presenting every day at least in some part. You know, and you get, if you're not happy or excited about what you're presenting about, it's not going to go well. Um, so that's kind of the same thing with, with with teaching and finding content they can relate to and they like is huge.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You definitely your delivery of it. it certainly is a lot of it. And, and sometimes it's just a matter of getting creative. When you talk about science there, it reminded me of one time we were doing a project and this idea, this challenge of try to connect whatever content you can. The project was around um, the teachers were doing um, where the kids paired up with senior citizens at a retirement home. And right. And they learned about their story and they ended up writing a biography about them. And so just to try to make, get your most instructional bang for your buck here, we were challenged to think like, what can we do for, for science? Is there any way we can connect science? Obviously it's a pretty ELA social studies forward kind of project, but we thought, what if we paired the student with a senior citizen who was born in the same month? Um, So even though they're born 60 years apart, they were both born in January. You could talk about the patterns in the night sky and how, even though you were born 60 years apart, you know, the night sky looked the same. So just sometimes you got to get kind of creative, but, Again, if you have something that's going to capture the kids, they feel like it's meaningful and relevant, um, you can probably get a little creative and connect a lot of stand, And that's where it can save you time because nobody has enough time, right? And to do these projects sounds so time consuming and it can't, you know, don't get me wrong. I don't want to like sugarcoat it too much. Some of that can be, but the more content standards you can weave into it, not only the more authentic is the experience and more memorable for the kids and the way they can retain it, but also it can actually save you time.
1: And it can also save time too, because- they're building up toward these big projects it's not all these like little assessments you're doing along the way all of the i mean you'll do your formative check-ins and whatnot and those are still important but it's not all of those assignments right and those worksheets you're grading so it's a lot of planning but i do think one the planning's much more exciting um and two it's it does take some work off of like it, in the end when done right it should shift some of that like day-to-day work busy work essentially off your plate that is a lot for you to take on. And let's be honest, doesn't really benefit students that much either. Uh, so that, that was something.
0: That- I think that's particularly true in um, like this world, like post COVID, when you had all the quarantines and like kids are coming, you never have a full classroom in your in your classroom at any given time. Because, you know, if you were just teaching a lesson a day, and you know, Johnny misses that day, all of a sudden you have this gap that's on you, the instructional burden on you as a teacher to fill that gap for Johnny. Whereas if you have this larger project, everyone knows what you're working toward and what the steps are toward it. And so if someone's out one day, different person's out another day, you're not having to necessarily fill that instructional gap um, because you're all working toward it sort of at your own pace and you have this larger end goal.
1: Yeah, and I think about too, it's that idea of making it fun for students. Um, and that's something, when i think about like live school we focus more on behavior than the content delivery side though sometimes it's, i mean it is connected and people do connect it but the idea of making it engaging for students beyond just like again like that worksheet handing it out handing out it to Merit, they have to sign a log right like how do you engage students in that process of of growth within schools i think it's just a much larger conversation
2: so on on before we go to the next one on because you you got to talk about pbl a little bit and it brought back some science memories for me. So I I do want to share one with you. So you talked about connecting it to some sort of content making it interesting. So I did this thing in that astronomy class about uh, Pluto. I don't know if you're familiar with like Pluto is a planet or not. It's went back and forth like four or five times, but I I had my, my kids pick a side and they ran it like an election. Like, and then they had to get votes in the school and it was an election year. So that was kind of a thing that was happening everywhere. So they had to they had to like have a whole campaign if they whichever side they chose. So um, that that goes back to that project based learning and connecting it to you know something that may not they may not have a lot of interest in it to begin with, but they can
0: have fun with. This may be a tangent, but you'll appreciate this as a science guy and working on earth science. So we just did we had a um, a summer camp with some Girl Scouts here that and we ended up creating a scale model of the solar system that is. So a lot of people do that like within the within your classroom. What we did at the city wide. So um, to really figure out like how, how tiny, you know, the sun, the sun is an exercise ball and it's here at our, at our place. So how small would mercury have to be and where would it be in our city? Um, so it was really cool to kind of really bring home that concept of just how big the solar system is. Like, and we found like local businesses around town that would, um, would host, you know, a, a display of, so here's mercury. It's like the size of a peppercorn um, compared to our exercise ball, you know, right across the street here. And about and we could do a walking tour now about at least you know the inner planets are all kind of within walking of downtown but then the rest is going out to the lakeshore shore and, and kind of pretty pretty far it was just a cool way to bring something that's so abstract to really think about the scale of and you know you can you see the like pictures of all the planets but like really think about how they would fit across our city if we scale
1: modeled that was a really cool project so before we go to the next question i have to know though jordan which Which side won? Was it Pluto is a planet
2: or Pluto is not a planet? Well, it had it it probably had more to do with who was on the two groups because the team that um, that picked Pluto as a planet they were like crushed it and like they made like board games and stuff and all all sorts of cool things for other people to try. So the campaign won out.
0: So you heard it here: Pluto is a planet now. It's official.
2: (laughs) Um, That's really cool. But uh, I've done that. The, the scale like with the football field, like we went out to turf and did it, but I didn't think about doing it in the community because that's, that's actually a, a whole nother level and you can get some community involvement, which is something we talk about a lot for school culture stuff is getting, you know, to be, to be more open back and forth with your community. And that's a way for them to get involved in, in even lessons, which is it.
0: And I, I know, you know we'll probably run out of time, but it, it makes me think too, because that's also comes back to that respect of the profession. And I think sometimes as teachers, we are so insulated. We shut that door and we may do amazing things behind that door that nobody else knows about. So I have to encourage your teachers to write a press release, you know, talk to get the media in to talk. That if we put something out in the community, they're seeing what you're doing. And sometimes you got to be your own kind of promo, you know, hype man and get your stuff out there, not just for you, but for the profession. Let's show people what educators are actually doing. It's not just sitting there handing out worksheets.
2: We're, unfortunately, we're, we don't really learn a lot about PR when you're trying to be a teacher or an administrator. Like, I there's so many times where, like, you you'll introduce yourself and be like, "I'm,", I'm they'll, they'll even use the word "just," like, "just a teacher." And my my, my wife does that. She's elementary. So I'm like, don't do that. Like, that's that. Like, don't say that.
0: Yeah, we ended up creating like a press release template to show you. Here's the, here's the template. Just fill in these parts, and you can submit it. Here's where you can submit it. So you know, trying to get some some you know attention on what you're doing it's not self-serving it's actually something really altruistic you can do for the profession
2: so the follow-up to you know deliberately changing school culture and this is more of a like roadblocks to avoid kind of thing if you're trying to be the one that's trying to change something um can you share a story of a change that you saw that failed
0: sure i mean it's one thing to kind of put out these strategies and say this is you know this is some tips on how to do it um but there's got to be a few things in place too right there's got to be on the teacher side there's got to be that level of intrinsic motivation and and willingness to maybe do something a little bit differently um so sometimes if that's not there it can derail but there also has to be administrative support i have it the other way around where teachers are wanting to make this change and administrators are reluctant to to do that so um i think having teachers and administrators on the same page about what you know authentic learning experience looks like is is probably the best thing you can do to, um, to kind of prevent a really common failure, right? So you can have teachers who think they're doing this, right? A lot of times we look at what's the difference between project and project-based learning. And they think they might be doing it, but the administrator has a little bit different vision of what that should look like. Um, and that's sometimes where it can it can break down. Um, so taking the time to align, like we, I have folks get together and let's list the characteristics of an authentic learning experience, right? I've got eight, but let's add to them. Let's see what, what you think they are. Um, So that we're all on the same page about what success would look like, Um, because otherwise, I think you can oftentimes have a little bit of a difference of opinion or a difference in perception about what that classroom could look like, and you just haven't had those conversations. And I think that can um, sometimes—I've seen that derail it sometimes. Which is that's like like, should be the easy part. Like let's just let's just actually communicate what it is we're we're striving to do um, and get on the same page about it. So I think it's. It's it's something that's not insurmountable.
2: Yeah, the uh, it it should be the easy part, but a lot of times the people are the hard part. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of kind of part of the territory. Um, the last one in this section is is about scaling and sustaining change. So, if you wanted to, and you could pick any role you want to, to talk about perspective here, but what what advice would you give somebody who's trying to create some, some change that can go farther, you know, and, and improve culture and last beyond them. And that, that's something that comes up a lot is because we have a lot of turnover and uh, there's teacher shortage and, and leadership turns over anyways. It just, that's part, that's part of that, that gig. But how do we keep good ideas going? So like if, if it's PBL, how do you keep it going after the principal leaves?
0: No, that's I love that question, too. Um, I think, you know, if I'm if I were to target sort of administrators, building level administrators, let's say, and how do you really sustain this change? I think it's making sure that that you're thinking holistically about what a teacher needs to pull off what it is you're expecting. Right. So it's not just professional development and say here's why you should be teaching this way go right it's that professional development let's honor the profession and give them the the strategies and the why so do that professional development but also give the resources you know so actual whether that's curriculum or whether that's time to build these resources or um, or ask them what is it do you need in order to teach this way um, but so Give them the why, give them the what with the resources. And then also some amount of, and I hesitate to use the word coaching, but um, some amount of ongoing support, right? And it's not coaching like a punitive, let me catch you doing something wrong kind of thing. But it's one thing to hear about, okay, here's some strategies. Let's say they take my advice to think, you know, switch the way you think about lesson planning, okay? And then it's another thing, even give the resource, right? But it's when you actually start teaching it that you run into, Oh, but this happened or or but I have this student who's not quite getting it. I need some, a little bit different resource for that student or like, where those little things that could trip it up happen. And having um, an instructional coach there that, like I said, is not a punitive, um, but someone that, like I said, could I'd love to do this. Be the fairy godmother. I, I will get questions like, you know what? I saw this other project we did with you. We had this poster, but I, but we could really use that in this project and we'll make it for them. Right. The things the teacher doesn't have time to do. Um, so I think as an administrator, thinking holistically about not just the PD and the resources and the coaching together as this way to kind of really support the teachers um, and asking them, you know, what is it you need to pull off this kind of instruction? Because wouldn't it be great if our school was known as this beacon of curiosity, creativity, and critical thinking that's actually helping our community? What do you need? And then, and then kind of taking that approach and then evaluating it all the time. And, and each teacher, what, do you, what one teacher needs, Needs might be different from what another teacher needs, but taking that process of looking at all three of those, you know, the PD, the resources and the ongoing coaching and support. Um, I think however you want to accomplish that, those three elements I think are key toward really building change in your school and getting credit for it outside in the community.
2: So the key piece there, I think is that ongoing support that you were talking about. And the, the, the idea of coaching with, with folks in education. Is I don't think we do a good job training those folks on how to do that, and on the flip side of that, I don't think we do a good job preparing teachers for coaching. So a lot of times it ends up being like a like a little antagonistic, and it, it like that's the opposite of what it needs to be, you know?
0: Absolutely. I mean, you know, going back to one of your, you know, if I could change one thing, I, that perception of coaching is another one I put in there because it's one of the things I think a lot of times folks start off kind of apprehensive, but when we when we do it, it's their favorite part, right? Because they're able, we're able to say, what is it you want to accomplish this year? What would you like to see in yourself that's different this year or next year than this year? And we can set a whole plan. So, okay, you don't have time to find the strategies and resources to make that happen. Let us help you do that. Um, and then it's driven by the teacher, the teacher setting those, those kind of like points of what success looks like. And we're just helping them get to what they already want to do. That's some of the most
1: satisfying work that we do. I love the question too about what do you need? I stayed up way too late finishing this book last night. It's called What My Bones Know, totally unrelated to education. But she was talking about going through this process of learning to heal from something that happened in the past and, and better communicate with people. And one of the pieces of advice that she said really changed that for her was a piece of advice she got from her therapist that was asking people, what do you need to feel supported right now? And so when you say that, it's like, It was something that I remember reading that and I was like, that's such a powerful question. This was like 1 a.m. last night. I was like, I love that question. He's asking these people, but it's, so just an effective communication tip in general and something I, after reading that was like, I want to apply this going forward. So I think that like, there's so much power in asking people, especially when they come to you stressed, like, what do you need? Like, talk to me and what's going on and just giving them that space rather than trying to like solve it for them and, and letting them speak and they'll come to you with solutions
0: absolutely and solutions that they're actually behind right it wasn't forced you know people say that people don't like change well i don't know if that's really true like there's a whole self-help you know industry people actually do like change they just don't like forced change that doesn't you know mean anything right if it's if it's an intrinsic change it's actually making a difference in the world i think most people actually want that and crave that and as leaders we have to provide that framework for change right it's not a forced change for no purpose it's how can I help? What do you need?
2: Well, Tara, thank you so much for coming on. Um, particularly our, our talk about um, engagement in the classroom and, and, and PBL. And we talk a lot about behavior things and like school culture initiatives and like the behavior is a big topic, but I, I will tie it back. There's, there's no better behavior management than having really engaging lessons. And, and if, you, if, if you knock that out of the park, everything else goes better. Preach. <laughs> Um, so at this time, and I, I'd like for you to be able to share how folks can find you if they want resources, all those kind of things, and we'll, we'll put them in the show notes and stuff too, but, um, how can they find you?
0: Sure. Like I said, one of my favorite things for us to do is to be that teacher fairy godmother to do that kind of coaching, um, professional, all that sort of thing. So, um, people can find me. My email is Tara.Tarongo at vaei.org. Um, You can also check out tons of free resources for project-based learning um, and ideas and strategies, all kinds of stuff at blueappleteacher.org. All
2: right. Thank you very much.
1: The Flywheel Effect, harnessing the power of momentum to create a school culture that celebrates change and drives itself.